On today's show, the deadline came and went, and the Hawks did absolutely nothing on this Thursday afternoon into the evening, and I'll touch on what transpired and what didn't transpire in that entire sequence, the context around it, where the Hawks go from here, and probably the frustrations that a lot of fans are having. We'll get into all of that and more right now. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1649 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening. And today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. The easiest, most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And the place to go is prizepix.com slash LockdownNBA. And use code LockdownNBA when you get there. for first time deposit match up to $100. Also, I encourage you, as I always do, to make us your first listen each and every day on this podcast. And check us out and subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify. We're also on YouTube on the video side, Overcast, etc. And again, anywhere you get your podcasts. And today's show is a little bit of a different one, a little bit challenging in some respects because no game to cover, no mailbag questions to answer. The Hawks did nothing on this Thursday. Of course, it is deadline day in the NBA. The deadline was three o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Occasionally, a deal will leak out after three o'clock, so I had to kind of hold steady, make some calls, etc. I had some day job responsibilities today, so it was a little bit tough to gauge everything. Um, wasn't given the all clear by the Hawks that they actually did nothing until almost four o'clock. But in the end, the Hawks did not make a single transaction. They are one of only five teams in the NBA to not make a trade of any kind between the start of the season and the deadline. And yeah, I'll just open with this. I understand the frustration here. I pride myself on being level-headed and even-handed and giving you the context. That is really the ethos of the show in a lot of ways. I cover the team professionally. I'm not going to go on the rants that some fans might, and I get that. I'm, I'm removed from it, but I'm in, I'm in the locker room. I'm around the team. I'm asking questions. That's not my job. But all that said, I'm usually that way, and I get it. But I will say this. I understand the frustration. For a team that has underachieved the way the Hawks have the last couple of years, and for all the buzz and all the rumors and all the, you know, stuff out there in the last couple of weeks, even for the Hawks to do absolutely nothing, not even a, not even a minor move. I thought at the very least, the Hawks would probably do something small, if not, if not something big at the deadline. And uh, in the end, they just kind of held tight. So I'll kind of go through all of that. I will. It's probably going to be a little bit of a uneven show in some respects. I don't have the same kind of outline that I normally would. I'll talk about what didn't happen maybe why it didn't happen, the context around it. I'll talk about the roster and where the Hawks go from here, money-wise, player-wise, etc. At the end of the show, I'll talk about the latest news beyond the deadline, as well as a, as a quick look ahead at the Hawks playing basketball on Friday, which is going to be happening, by the way. They actually play a game on Friday in Philadelphia. But first, I'll say this. Standing pat at the deadline in a vacuum, so in a vacuum is the, is the important part there, is not crazy at all to do. Sometimes there are deals that are not going to come available for you. Nothing's going to make sense for you that, that is sort of be available to you at that point in time. I'm not defending what the Hawks did here or what they didn't do here. I will just say this, and this is where I put my analyst slash media hat back on. It's really hard to do this when you don't know what's been offered. And on the outside looking in, yeah, there's stuff that I hear that I either share or don't share depending on what it is. 
And sometimes I hear stuff and I can criticize it. There's been all kinds of reporting out there. I've shared some about, you know, go, going back a few years to the Hawks turning down a deal. And by, by the Hawks, I mean Tony Wrestler turning down a deal for Paul Millsap or Tony, Tony Wrestler reportedly, and I think probably happened, sort of declining a deal for John Collins involving Harrison Barnes a couple years ago. That stuff gets out there eventually. But I'll say this with firm conviction. We never know. I never know all the stuff that's been offered or what could have been offered for the Hawks, all that stuff. So keep that in mind. But it is very possible to stand pat and have that be the right decision in some situations. With that said, it's harder for the Hawks to sell that. It's harder for the Hawks with the way that that looks, sort of looks be given because of kind of their questionable recent history of management of their roster and players and contracts holding on for, holding on to guys for too long. We don't know that's what's going on here with regard to Murray and Capella and Hunter, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't have to go very far to find some examples of the Hawks holding on to guys too long or not managing their assets in the best possible way. I won't go through all the history, but John Collins is the most prominent example, of course. They had him on the trade block essentially every six months for three years. And they did their part to kill his trade value. And at the very end, they instead of just kicking the can down the road over and over and over again, as they did, they ended up selling him and trading him for nothing. They also signed Clay Capella to an extension that they didn't have to sign him to. And that would only really make sense if they were planning on trading him shortly into the extension, but now they didn't do that. They gave DeAndre Hunter an extension a year ahead of time that they didn't have to do. And while neither Hunter or Capella are on totally disastrous contracts, they're not on big value deals either. In general, the Hawks being so open for business, quote unquote, this cycle might have led to, to some of the market challenges as well, because sometimes teams around the league know that the Hawks are up against it financially right now and in the future, and they're trying to retool things. That's very much out there that they're trying to build around Trey and Jalen. That's obviously a good foundation to have, but if teams know that you're trying to do that actively, it's tough sometimes to be in a position of strength when you have a pretty inexperienced front office and you are kind of, again, well-known to be kind of open for business. It's hard to kind of do that. And I guess through that lens, it's better to draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going to sell guys for nothing or sell guys for less than they're worth in trade. And I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. But more than anything, I think the Hawks need a plan and they have to stick to it long-term. Maybe they have one now. We just don't know it yet. And they're keeping their Clarks close to the vest. Again, I said a second ago, but the number one most consistent thing that the Hawks have been saying and leaking and kind of whispering behind the scenes is they're trying to build around Trey Young and Jalen Johnson. And that part of the plan, I endorse. Trey Young is their best player. Jalen Johnson is their best young player. That makes a lot of sense. But there has to be cohesion in the plan long-term. So we're gonna, we'll get to all, diff all different stuff on this podcast. But first... We got to start with, with DeJounte Murray, who was the biggest name really on the whole trade market across the league after Siakam and Ananobi were traded by Toronto. No one who is a better player than DeJounte Murray was traded at the deadline. No one. Not one player who is as good as he is right now was moved in the last couple days. And I'll say this. I am not surprised that they did not trade DeJounte, at least coming into the last couple of days. By the time I got to the last week or so into February, my DeJounte trade meter was falling and falling to the point where it was below 50-50 coming into today. I'll say that. There was a time in January, probably four or five weeks ago, where I was getting calls and texts about a potentially imminent deal, and it would have felt pretty surprising to me at that moment that the Hawks would keep, would keep him for the next four weeks and beyond, but the market just never got there for DeJounte. Like, uh, again, I thought I was going to be doing an emergency podcast four weeks ago on this front. It was, it was really loud. There was Woj saying this and Chris Sane saying this, that like they were, that he was likely to be traded, like not even just hedging it, like likely to be moved, moved and moved and all that stuff. Obviously there is spin involved in everything that is made public this time of year. Keep that in mind. You never want to believe what any side 
when it comes to media leaks or team official statements, always have your guard up is what I would say this time of year. Um, but Woj, who's the leading insider, said the following, and I'm going to quote this now, that the Hawks, quote, did not see enough in the market just to justify trading to Jonathan Murray and also that it might get revisited again, but there just wasn't enough in the marketplace for them to make that trade for DeJounte Murray, end quote. So with someone as good as Murray, you don't just trade a guy to trade a guy. I said it before, but it really isn't especially true for someone like Murray who, yes, the entire time I've been covering the DeJounte trade rumors, I've, I've never once said that the Hawks have to trade DeJounte Murray or anything close to that because, and part of this is that, A, he's really good. Like, yes, he's a flawed basketball player. He's not perfect. I don't think he's a great fit in Atlanta necessarily, perfect anyway, but he's really good. And B, there, is no, there was no guarantee ever that they were going to have their asking price met for DeJounte Murray. Last night on this show, I said the big questions were basically whether the Hawks were going to have their asking price drop for Murray. And by the way, that price was two first-round picks and a player or something of the equivalence of that. Or on the other side, if a team that was not going to meet that price before suddenly decided to get more desperate and meet that price. From what I can gather, that didn't happen on Thursday. The Lakers never had two picks to offer. The Hawks wanted Austin Reeves because they'd have two picks to offer. And the Lakers weren't going to do that. The closest that I think any deal actually got to happening around this entire cycle was about a month ago when it was D'Angelo Russell, the 2029 first-round pick, and some other stuff. Gio Nuccifino, etc. That got close and never got there. We'll come back to the Pelicans in a second with regard to uh, Aneka Kongwu, but there was some noise the last couple days about the Pelicans. I don't think they wanted to move Herb Jones, from what I can gather. Um, there were ways to have that deal be done, but a deal did not happen there. I think Orlando or Brooklyn could have got in all the way on DeJounte. That never actually happened all the way through to getting a deal done. And the Hawks seemingly, again, just chose to hold the line on their price with Murray and bring him back for the future. This is kind of separate, but it's also sort of a disservice to make the trade pursuits as public as they were in the last month, two months, and then turn around and not pull the trigger. Again, I just said it, and I, and I do mean this, they didn't need to sell low on Jonathan Murray and trade him for very little. So I'm not saying that, that in itself was a bad decision, but some of the people around the league were baffled around with John Collins previously, and that it's happening again with DeJounte, it became so public in the last six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks that he was so available and that really both sides, DeJounte's side as a player slash agent and then the Hawks side were so open to a new situation, like to, tra to trading, basically, that when a deal doesn't happen, it's a little bit strange because usually a player like Murray who has clutch behind him and is a former all-star, all, all that stuff, when that, when that guy is out there in rumors this long, he often gets traded. And part of that, again, is that Murray Saab was in the mix too. And while he never demanded a trade that I know of, it was very much understood that he was very open to being moved. Like, if not eager, certainly open to being moved. And his reps were operating through that lens as well the entire time. So not, it wasn't just one-sided where the Hawks were just dangling him out there and DeJounte wanted no part of it. There were at least times in the last month or six weeks that all sides... Both sides wanted to move on from this relationship. But then you get the leak from Quinn Snyder. At least I'm not sure if it's from Quinn Snyder, but Mark Stein reported that Quinn wanted to keep DeJounte. Then you get some of the late injury report additions um, that DeJounte had in the last couple of days. And the messaging kind of got very mixed across the way. So in the end, I actually agree that with someone as good as DeJounte, you don't just trade that guy to trade that guy for no reason, especially when he signed long-term. It's a good contract. It's four more years of control, uh, like, well, at least three more years because he has a player option at the end of it. But anyway, that's a good contract. I like the extension. It made a lot of sense for the Hawks, especially. Um, there are other considerations in play, like how is the locker room going to respond to this and how are the dynamics behind the scenes that we just don't know and probably will never know. But as long as they believe that DeJounte is able to kind of come back in the fold, buy in, 
play his best, not be a distraction, all that stuff. And there's no reason not to think that at the outside right now. Um, that I have no, I have no problem at all not trading him. Would there have been, would there have been a price to trade him? For me, absolutely, there would have been. He's not untouchable. He shouldn't have been untouchable. But I'll just say that, like, I have no problem with it as long as all sides are on the same page that he's able to come back in, be invested, play hard, etc. And I think he will do that. So there you go. And before I get to, get to a break and talk about other stuff besides Dejounte, the choice to keep him here through the season and through the summer is happening. That's obviously he can't go anywhere till the summer at this point. I immediately started getting questions from people around the league, agents, other teams, media folks, etc., about the Hawks trading him again this summer. Like it's not going to go away. It's different than Collins because Murray is a little bit of a high-profile player than Collins was because Murray been an All-Star team, etc. But it's very similar. Like. You can't just keep putting a guy in the market over and over and over again. Either you make the decision now to keep him and you want to invest long-term, or this summer it's going to come up again. There was so much tea spilled on the situation and how publicly available he was in the last couple of weeks. I think we'll get another round of that in five months. They'll trade him or they won't. We'll see. But the Hawks have done most of their bigger stuff historically. Obviously pre this regime for the most part, but still the same owner who makes a lot of decisions. Tony's very, very involved in this process. Travis Slink is gone, but Landry was there, etc. Most of the big moves the Hawks have made have been in the summer, and that the summer's coming up. There are suitors for DeJounte who have more assets to offer in the summer, i.e. the Lakers, not just the Lakers, but certainly they are one of the teams. And generally speaking, it's easier to move a guy like DeJounte in the summer, around the draft, around free agency, etc. So, of course, the Hawks could find their footing down the stretch, and they could start believing in the backcourt period again. One of the messaging things that I want to always flag right now as being true from what I heard is that the Hawks kind of don't believe that their long-term backcourt is trading DeJounte. And if you believe that, as the Hawks, you have to revisit it. Obviously, they, they could change your mind if Trey and DeJounte start playing great together and if everything clicks into place, that could all happen. But um, I think only time will tell about whether they actually start believing that stuff again. But I think right now, the Hawks generally do not believe that it's going to work long-term as the very, very highest level that was heavily out there behind the scenes. So anyway, they paid a lot for DeJounte. A lot of the reports and the buzz out there was that the Hawks were trying to get some of that back because they traded so much, and I get it, even at the time, I said they paid too much, and they did. They were a little bit desperate, and that showed, and there's been the reporting out there about the behind the scenes, about how Travis didn't want the deal to be done, and ownership did, and all that stuff that's been reported is old news, but it does matter in some respects. But anyway, they paid a lot, they know he's a really good player, and he very much is. DeJounte Murray is very good, and they can trade him this summer if they want to. Um, I think DeJounte's situation is much different than that of Capella, or Hunter in particular, but... I do actually think that at the end of the day, the Hawks were making him very available, but they just drew a line in the sand that they said, we're not going to trade him for below this package or style or whatever with, 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 with each team and no one met their price. And in the end, that's why he's still in Atlanta. So we'll see. Obviously he's questionable to play on Friday. We'll see if he buys in and sort of plays his best basketball the rest of the season, but he's around. He'll be on the team through at least the draft. And then uh, we'll have much more coming up on that. Obviously I'll have more on the trade or non-trade deadline, I suppose later on in the podcast, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little bit further? Do you ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lot of SUVs with capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. It also has class-exclusive Google built-in and is your always updating assistant to call on for almost anything that you need. Gone are the days of connecting your phone because Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system with the Nissan Rogue. And the 2024 Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. 
These sets of incredible lineup also includes 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, and Pathfinder has room up to eight, and expansive car, car capacity, and also advanced available 4x4 capability. With 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds of towing, when an adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armana, and just go out right now and find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. All right, and I can do a half hour on DeJounte, but I won't do that now, so let's move on to other guys who did not move. I'll leave this by saying something that is not just one about one player in, in, in particular, but also about the team situation. I mentioned it before about kind of having the Hawks' hands tied a little bit because the whole league knows that they have some money questions in the future, and it will surprise me greatly if the Hawks pay the luxury tax next season. I'm not going to do the long version of this, but through that lens, I believe that it is likely they're going to have to, at least in their words, have to, quote-unquote, giant quotation marks there, make another cost-cutting move this summer. Two, two years ago, it was Kevin Herter in a deal where, yes, they got a first-round pick, but it was a lot of it was about cutting costs. Last year, John Collins was exclusively about cutting costs. And while I'm going to save the deep dive for later on, the Hawks are up against it for the, ne for the next year on, on the tax with 10 guys on the team and with nothing allotted to Sadiq Bey. I thought they might cut some money now to save some of that and, pot and potentially alleviate some of that problem. And look, maybe Tony Ressler and company will turn over a new leaf, but he's never paid the tax so far. They openly ducked it the last two years. I will not be sweat otherwise. They, it was very obviously what they were doing across the league. Everybody knows it. And there's no reason in my mind to believe that they won't do it again. So we'll see. That could change. I'm not guaranteeing it. But that obviously could involve shedding money through Bogey or Capella or Hunter or DeJounte or whoever going in the next year. And uh, we'll see what happens on that. But that's sort of important background context, not, not only for DeJounte, but just for all the moves the Hawks didn't make along the way is that they're they're kind of looming into this financial reality of uh, some fear for next year. Now, Clint Capella is still on the team. So for today's show, I will I want to say this. I, I'll put this to the side a lot of the discussions about Clint's on-court impact for this discussion because I think a lot of it is off the rails. Obviously, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you will know that I'm a little bit higher on Clint than most are. And it's not what we supposed to run Atlanta are. I think I'm kind of in line with where the league is on Clint, which is basically like he's a solid-ish starting center, but nothing spectacular beyond that. Not the same guy he used to be, et cetera, et cetera. So I, all that said, I think, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again now, I think it's pretty wild that he is still on the team right now. Now, I said the same thing this summer as well, and the conversation about whether he's a useful player is different than what I'm talking about right now. It is pretty mind-blowing to me that the Hawks are going to now complete four full seasons. Four full seasons. The entirety of a Kongwu's rookie contract with Capella and a Kongwu on the team together after taking a Kongwu with the sixth pick in the draft. If you told me the night they drafted a Kongwu that both of them would still be on the team in four seasons, I would have laughed at you. Truly, I would have. And yes, they're playing some together this year, a little bit together. That's a good thing in general for this team, but they barely have over the course of four years. They're both centers. And sometimes like, it's just crazy to think about the fact that the Hawks have both of these guys still. And when they brought in Clint, it was a godsend. They didn't have anyone like Clint previously. The center spot was a huge problem for a while before that. He was really good. He is a underrated reason why they were so good in 2021, etc. But then they drafted a center in a Kongwu. He had some injury stuff early on, but he's been fairly good over, across four years. And going back to the aspect, asset management conversation earlier, early on the podcast, the Hawks waited too long to trade Clint Capella. And he was especially hard to move during the season because, and that's, by the way, a lot of reason why I, even I, noted Capella guy, advocated for them to, them to trade him this last summer because Clint is useful, but it's hard to move a center making starter money at the deadline when most of the teams that are trying to buy 
have centers. It is what it is. Um, so I won't do the whole spiel every step of the way the last four years, but the Hawks have operated this mindset where they don't want to take a step back and they don't want to trade Clint as a result of that. Kong has not forced their hand. That is important to note. I know he's been playing really well lately, but throughout the four-year process, big picture, he's not forced them to make this move. That's notable too. But as far as the deadline is concerned, it came down to having no word to send him that made sense. You could look across the league and teams that were actively buying didn't really need centers. Memphis was my spot for him. And then jaw went down. So they had no reason to go ahead and do that. They're kind of tanking at this point in time, et cetera, et cetera. So it is what it is, but they'll almost assuredly be looking at trading Clint this summer again. And uh, my big picture takeaway is that like, you can talk about this one spot or even this summer is one spot or last year is one spot accumulatively. And yes, part of it was Schlenk, the Schlenk era. Um, Tony's been there the whole time, but to go four years with, with Capella and Congo on the team for four full seasons is wild, especially when, like, it'd be, it'd be one thing if the Hawks had been winning 50 games. Obviously, they made the one conference finals run, but the last two years, to have this this highly paid center duo and still be this team, is it's uh, it's not great. Let's just say that. Um, everybody else is similar to what I said about DeJounte earlier, and that the urgency level and the market just didn't align. So... There were three guys that I heard the Hawks were basically actively not wanting to trade. Well, there are two guys who are they view as untouchable, and that's Trey and, Trey and Jalen. So put those guys to the side. There were three other guys that I've heard the last couple of weeks, especially this week even, that Bogey, Akongwu, and Kobe Bufkin, they don't want to trade. Now, they weren't totally off the table, but they don't want to trade those guys. Um, Akongwu was, of course, linked to the Pelicans in the last couple of days. But just to put it very clearly, the Pelicans wanting a Kongwu does not mean the Hawks want to trade him. Separate things. The Pelicans wanted a Kongwu. I've heard that. Why wouldn't they? The, the Pelicans have been trying to find a versatile center to, to pair with Zion for a long time. Of course they want a Kongwu. Why wouldn't they want a Kongwu? But I think the Hawks would trade him for the right price, but it would be a very large price. And I'm not saying that's the reason the Murray deal fell apart, but certainly the Hawks were not in a rush of any kind to trade a Kongwu, and that's part of why they didn't want to do that. I think if it had been Clint and DeJounte going to New Orleans in a package, it had been a lot easier to take for the Hawks than it would have been for Murray and a Kongwu in a package. Hunter missed almost half the season, and right now his contract is underwater, I think. It's not terribly underwater if he's playing, but it's not a great contract, and I think that's why he's still here. Sadiq Bey, I'm not sure about how they feel about him right now. They clearly didn't actively want to move him, or they would have, but he's had kind of a weird season. The shooting's been a little bit rough. TBD on Sadiq, but like he was out there, not a ton. Um, everybody else was available and nobody got moved. So like Bogey, yeah, teams wanted him, but the Hawks didn't want to trade him. Bufkin's still a rookie. It is what it is. But the other guys, like, you know, they could have moved Patty Mills and tried to upgrade. If they were going to buy, they could have turned Patty Mills in a second round pick into somebody better than Patty Mills. That could have happened, but they didn't do that either. So they didn't buy, they didn't sell. They just held in one place. So I won't go down the entire list, but there you go. Um, roster wise. Right now, for one thing, the Hawks still have a full roster, 15 guys plus three guys on two way deals. So if they want to do anything at all, people are already asking about, about buyout guys, etc. They have to create a roster spot first and you can't trade anybody. So you have to waive someone to do anything else. There are some guys who are intriguing on the buyout market. The Hawks could at least consider pursuing. Most buyout guys are not going to want to sign with the 22 and 2019. Some of them will, but maybe they probably not. Um, you know, their names like. Daniel House and Killian Hayes and old friend Danilo Gallinari. Like, there are names. I'm sure that list will grow in the future. Um, the Hawks could go shopping there. And by the way, they do have a about nine and a half, ten million of the tax line and the MLE to offer. So if they wanted to get into, into a bidding war with somebody, they could sign one of these guys. 
I don't know if they're going to or if they want to. And again, no roster spot available. So there isn't like a super obvious guy to cut for the Hawks. There are some candidates. Um, well, number one, Trent Forrest is kind of in a weird situation. I said this on the, on the show yesterday, but Trent is only one game short of his 50-game maximum on a two-way contract. And they're probably going to have to choose like very soon whether to waive Trent, who I like, but either waive him or replace him on the big league club. Sorry, replace somebody else with him because there is not a lot of utility on a, on a two-way player that you can't use in the big leagues, which is what Trent's about to become. If he's active on Friday, that's the last game he can be active on a two-way deal. So that's a that's a question. It's not an urgent thing. Like, I know casual fans don't really care about this, but there you go. Patty Mills could be traded. He, at one point this year, was like the pretty obvious guy to be, not traded, I, sh- I should say, sorry, waived. At one point this year, he was kind of the obvious guy to be waived, but he's been playing pretty regularly in recent days. So TBD there. Wes Matthews is the other old guy on one-year deal, but he's played at times, and they also expressly signed Wes Matthews for his leadership and veteranness and the fact that he can guard some wings. So who knows? Um, I can't imagine them waving Bruno. I can't imagine them waving Garrison Matthews or anybody else. So uh, if they want to do something else, they're going to have to wave someone and uh, TBD on that. So uh, I'll leave it there for now, but there isn't like an obvious next step. They could, again, sign someone to the buyout market, but nothing is uh, imminent there that I can see at this point in time. All right, I'll have some more on the future as far as the rest of the season is concerned, as well as a little bit of a brief look at Hawk Sisters on Friday. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks and Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting ways to play at Prize Picks. Scores marked with red demons or green goblins give you different payouts and, and went up to 100 times the money. And with as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. If you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like Rapper Meek Mill or comedian Andrew Schultz, you also find them in community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries for some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each and every week. They have injury insurance policies as well. Your entries can stay in, the, in play even if one of your players happens to get injured. It's also simple to play at prize picks i can make my picks and submit my lineups and entries in less than 60 seconds they have a quick withdrawal process as well easy gameplay and enormous selection of players and stat types that's what makes prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app i've been playing there for quite some time now i really enjoy diving into the numbers each and every day not only on the hawk stuff and nba stuff but also football baseball when they're in season etc etc and the place to go is prizepicks.com slash NBA and use code LOTHANNBA for a first time demise match up to $100. One more time, that is prizepicks.com slash NBA and use code LOCKEDONNBA. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy with prizepicks. All right, and to the rest of the season. So here is the thing that's looming over all this. The Hawks are probably going to make the play-in this year, at least. Right now, they're the 10 seed as ever core this podcast. And the closest team behind them is the Nets, who got worse at the deadline. Behind them is the Raptors, who got worse at the deadline, or at least before it. And I can't tell you whether making the playoffs this year was any part of the calculus for the Hawks when talking about making trades or not making trades. But ESPN currently has them as a 70% chance to make the play-in, at least. And that honestly sounds low to me. I think it's higher than that, as long as Trey is healthy and they're trying to win. So if the Hawks are playing the way they had played in the last six games, they'd be better than they are right now, for sure. Um, they're only six and a half games out of the six seed right now. Like, that's still a lot of games, but they're like, you know, I think they're better than this. They've always been better than this, and we'll see where they go. Questions that I've been getting about, like, the rotations, what's going to look like. Obviously, it's the same team right now, so I wouldn't expect drastic changes. And people are asking me about the young guys, and I swear to God, the true answer is I don't know. I could lie to you, but I don't know. If it was me, I'd be looking to play Kobe Bufkin more down the stretch. He, by the way, he just missed both ends of a back-to-back in the G League with an ankle injury. The Hawks have not said anything else about, so hopefully that's not a bad ankle injury, but he has been out the last couple of days. That is notable. 
But still, when he's healthy, I think it's time to try him some. I think also with AJ Griffin, um, it's time to play him at the NBA level or play him in College Park. Either one of those would be fine with me right now. You could have sold me that they were trying to kind of maybe hide AJ out of sight until the deadline if he wanted to. Uh, if maybe they, maybe they were going to trade him, but they didn't trade him, and he needs to play basketball. AJ's 20 years old. He's been deeply buried in, in the doghouse or whatever the rotation level of that is, and I think it would be a good idea for him to play in the G League if not in the NBA right now. He's not. He's just not playing basketball enough. Um, also, if it's me, there's no way that Capella's playing before the All-Star break. He might have been already out before then, but there's no reason to rush him back at all right now. That's four more games. Play Congo a lot in that stretch. I think there'll be plenty of nights when Kongu plays more than Capella the rest of the season or something in the future. One thing that I will say, though, is that they're not going to stop playing Capella. If Clint gets hurt, sure. Or if he's still hurt or whatever, if he's healthy, they're not going to stop playing him. I've seen people call for that. It's kind of a silly notion. Um, if you want to say that you want Kongu to start, I won't argue with you. Um, I think there's stuff in there's always like dynamics in play. Like Clint's a veteran. He's a very respected voice in that locker room. I, I know the fans don't care about that. I'm not even arguing about that right now. One thing I am going to tell you is that he's going to play. I, I can't imagine a scenario where they just don't play Click Capella. That would make no sense at all if he's healthy. So there you go. Uh, I mentioned force before. That's one that's an immediate decision that they have to make in the near future. You could argue as well that like instead of playing Garrison Matthews or Wes Matthews, you might want to play some Seth Lundy or AJ Griffin. We'll see. Um, big picture, I think the Hawks are going to try to win games down the stretch. You don't stand pat to not try to win games, I don't think. And by the way, they're too good to tank right now. People have been saying that they want them to tank right now. I get the thinking because personally, the play doesn't really excite me either. And I understand that. But right now, the bottom of the league is so bad that they can't really get anywhere close to the bottom of the league. And I think that if they're at reasonable health, they're a playoff level team. And I think that prioritizing long-term development does make sense. Like playing the young guys some would make sense. But you still have Trey. You still have DeJounte. You still have Akongwu and Jalen and and Capella and Hunter and Bay like and Bogey they they have eight guys who are like real NBA players and they can't just stop playing so it is what it is um they also have their first round pick of their own this year but also they might have two it's one big shrug on this but I'm pretty confident that you know unless I hear something different they're gonna try to win the rest of the year Quinn doesn't like to I don't think Quinn's in the, in the mood to, to try to tank right now and um they're too they're again they're this guy's not crazy they, they are too good to tank at this late stage of the season so Playing is my best guess, and they are, if they get hot, they could be right in the mix for the 7 or 8 seed. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, before we get out of here, and I can go longer, but I, I should stop because there's plenty more to talk about in the future. Um, one bit of positive news, Trey Young got invited and selected to play in the three-point contest and skills challenge in Indianapolis. So he went from not being in the All-Star game and probably, presumably not going to Indianapolis at all to being in the game, in the skills challenge, and three-point contest. So Trey will be busy that weekend. And by the way, he is the only rep from the Hawks that is involved. No one in the rookie sophomore game, unsurprisingly, because nobody's played this year. And no all-stars, no three-point shooting. It's just the Trey show on Saturday and Sunday. And finally, the Hawks play a basketball game on Friday in Philadelphia. And at the moment, this is actually going to sound crazy, the Hawks are four-point favorites on the road in Philadelphia. That is a surprising thing to say out loud, but there is a reason for it. Obviously, if you're following the league... Philly's been good this year, but they've lost seven of the last eight, and Joel Embiid is out. So they're obviously not the same team without Joel Embiid. They're, again, one, one in seven of the last eight games, and they're also not, it's not just Embiid either. They're also missing D'Anthony Melton, who's starting shooting guard, Robert Covington, Nick Batum. So they're down four of their top seven or eight guys. They did trade for Buddy Heald today. I don't know if that means they actually will be able to play on Friday or not. Usually it's not like the next, game, the next day that a guy will be able to play, so I would guess that 
Maybe not, but we'll see. And if nothing else, he'll, he'll be raw in terms of not, not practicing with them. So, yes, uh, the Hawks are missing Capella still. He'll be out for a little while longer. Uh, DeJounte is listed as questionable with the back tightness that, that comes out of the game on Wednesday. Hunter is probable. But yeah, I mean, the Hawks being a road favorite in Philly is, is surprising. Um, they, they just still have Tyrese Maxey. They're, they're still trying to win. Tobias Harris is a good player. So nothing's easy about this game, but certainly uh, not what you would expect from a road game in Philly on paper. And uh, we'll see how the Hawks fare in that one. And uh, yeah, all, all systems go. So they have you know 31 games left this season. I'll be covering them in detail, as I always do on the show. Uh, in the future, I will have a deeper uh, salary cap breakdown about what they're looking at in the offseason. I'll be following the Kings down the stretch. And uh, while a lot of it's been trade, trade stuff in the last few days and weeks, it's going to be game coverage the rest of the season. Like, we're, we're diving back in. We're, we're talking about X's and O's. I'll have guests on in the future. I'm sure I'm get Glenn Willis to come back on the podcast, talk about what, what Quinn is doing, what he's seeing. Um, some some really impressive play in the last few games from, from Okongwu. Obviously, Jalen's got a bright future. Trey is still there. DeJounte, we'll see what he's looking like when, after the, back, uh, after the back, back tightness, I should say. Hunter ramping up. Storylines abound. There's still stuff to talk about on this team, and uh, I hope you'll join us on a regular basis on this podcast. And again, forgive me for being a little bit more scattered than usual on this show, but it was a weird one putting together a show after nothing happened today, but there was still plenty to talk about. So there you go. Please subscribe to this show anywhere you get your podcasts. It would be awesome if you would do that and tell your friends about the show as well. Apple, Spotify, Overcast on the audio side, where you also get some bonus content from Locked On Sports Atlanta, always in the audio-only feeds in addition to the YouTube page where you can find us on video and like and subscribe and share the podcast there as well. Follow the show on Twitter slash X at LockedOnHawks. Follow me there as well at BT Roland. And I write about the Hawks regularly. I share audio regularly at Patreon.com slash BT Roland. Uh, it was a scramble today. I was I was trying to write something this afternoon and I kind of just ran out of time. So hopefully I'll have more stuff on there in the future. But I, I pretty much share all that on the show today. But there'll be some extra stuff there in written form. And uh, sincerely, thank you for listening to the podcast, especially if you made it this long. Uh, hopefully people will uh, take my context to light. It was a weird day. It was a frustrating day, as I acknowledge at the top of the podcast, for everybody involved. And uh, we'll see what the Hawks do from here because uh, having a plan and sticking to it is certainly something that they should be trying to do in the near future. But that's all I have for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. I'll see you after the game on Friday and then again on Saturday as the Hawks play a home game on Saturday night. So stay tuned, and we'll see you next time.